This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Draft Deeper on the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. Thank you so much for joining us for this first episode post-2023 NBA draft. Maxwell Baumbach is with me as my co-host. Maxwell, we're finally on the other side of the 2023 NBA draft. We get to talk about results, not just predictions and projections, right? This is going to be a fun podcast. How are you feeling post-draft? I'm doing great. And like we talked about this quite a bit internally, how – you can your perception and projection can change based on where a guy absolutely in the draft so it's really exciting to be on this side of the coin now um i know like we're all fired up to get into some of the 2024 stuff too like the group chat today talking about the u19 games and whatever yep. everybody's fired up and ready to go but we got we got to dissect 2023 first and we're gonna go through and, and kind of look at some of our favorite picks throughout the night i love i love you guys that are absolutely eager to tear through 2024 draft film as we enter this preseason process. I need a little bit of time away from just pure draft stuff. I usually like to take a little bit of a break and focus on reflecting on the, the current draft class and how it turned out and how these guys actually fit with their NBA teams, getting the preview and talk about a lot of the summer league stuff, free agency. So I'd like to actually focus on a lot of the NBA aspects that are coming into play, but as you mentioned, there will be plenty of time to talk 2024 draft preseason. You and I, as I'm sure, going to go heavy on that stuff. Heavier than I think we usually would, because now that you're here with Draft Deeper and you've been here as a full-time co-host, we get to pick apart your favorite column to write the entire mm-hmm. year, which is all of the pieces you do in the series of No Stone Unturned. Mm-hmm. So we will have plenty of time to unpack that stuff. But as you mentioned, we need to talk about what the heck happened in the 2023 NBA draft. So something that we wanted to do, obviously on Draft Deeper, we want to give as much of a complete draft recap as we can, but we also don't feel the need to rehash every single little thing because the best thing about no ceilings that we have at this collective is everyone has different opinions. Everyone has different ways of viewing the draft and evaluating these prospects. So it will be awesome to hear about each of these picks through different lenses, which is why we can sort of give some of our favorite selections from the 2023 May draft, some of our favorite bits. And then I'm certain the audience will be hearing a myriad of different recollections and recounts and evaluations from how this draft turned out through each of our shows, right? No mm-hmm. Silence NBA draft flagship show with the Tylers and the draft act crew and, and Nick and Paige and, everyone's going to get a chance to react to what happens. So let's jump in here. What we decided to do is we're going to go through the draft in, in groups of five. So we're going to go picks one through five, six through 10 and onwards through the second round. And we're just going to stop and we're going to give our favorite selection within that range 
of five picks in terms of how we feel the draft turned out for a specific team and or a specific player. So starting at the top, obviously we're talking about the San Antonio Spurs with Victor Wembanyama. The Charlotte Hornets took Brandon Miller at second overall. The Trailblazers took Scoot Henderson at third overall. The Rockets got a man Thompson at four and the Pistons went back to back Thompson twins and they got a SAR at number five. So Maxwell, I'll start with you. That's kind of how we'll go back and forth on yeah. this. Out of those top five picks, which one was your favorite selection? So is it like too early to do the cornball? Like, well, everyone's already talked about the other guy. So I'm going to zig where everybody else zags thing. But like, I kind of want to talk about a men Thompson with the Houston Rockets. Okay. Okay. Because like, look, the Victor coverage has been wall to wall. Everyone has already like beaten to death. The Brandon Miller, Scoot Henderson thing. There was a clip today of someone like posting Brandon Miller's high school film to be like, he played bums in high school. It's like, dude, he just played in the SEC. What what are we what are we yeah, doing? Right, here? right. So um I want to talk about a man because I'm very excited. And I think this is like the ideal developmental context for him. You're gonna have a coach that holds him accountable. Um, you have a team that's sort of in the middle of a culture reset, and people forget too, like they're getting a bunch of like Celtics assistants in there now, too. That were with Ime previously. So like it's not just one guy. Like you're getting a lot of that cultural infrastructure um that was in place in Boston prior to this, too. So um that's really good. I love I I still believe in Jabari Smith with like my whole heart. Sure. Uh and I think that he's gonna open up some really interesting things with him. He's gonna make Jalen Green's life a whole lot easier on both sides of the ball. Let him play sort of a more natural role offensively, take it a little bit easier on defense. And the two-man game with Shingoon is going to be potentially outrageous. They're going to have two of the most creative passers in the league on the floor together quite a bit. Um, the transition game that they can play with Tar East and the defensive playmaking, like there's just, there's a lot to like. And that's before we get to one of my other favorite picks in the draft later uh, with the Houston Rockets. But I think this is a great situation for him. I think this is the perfect place for him to just unlock everything he could be. I'm going to actually save. Now that you gave that teaser, I will save some Houston Rockets discussion until we get to that other selection when we get mm -hmm. into that range. So I will just go ahead with my favorite pick in this range, which was the Portland Trailblazers sticking to their guns and taking Scoot Henderson, third overall. The reason why I'm saying that is, look, the Trailblazers could have absolutely traded this pick away, right? We talked about multiple trade scenarios that could have possibly been in play here on Draft Deeper. For players like, at, at the time, you know, Jalen Brown was obviously a hot point of discussion because of how the Celtics ultimately bowed out of the playoffs. There was a lot of buzz about guys like OG Ananobi possibly being available. Paul George's name is still absolutely in play in trade circles. And, you know, one of the things I wanted to do when we finally found out the order of the lottery was go through some scenarios and questions surrounding those top four teams, right? What could actually be in play? And the biggest thing around Portland was what could the number three pick actually be flipped to in order to bring back potential star value and or positive return on the wing? And in walking through all those trades, Maxwell, we looked at each one of them and we said either Portland's giving up too much to bring yep. in an expiring or, or depreciating asset or the, the, yeah, the, one way or another, the return's just not ultimately going to be what Portland would want it to be. Either they're giving up too much or they're not bringing in enough to, to ultimately replace what was going out the door. So it's not just the number three pick. It was you're giving up the number three pick, plus you're trying to make salaries work because of where everyone's at in the current tax situation. So it's the number three pick plus an Anthony Simons. Or you're trying to match up other smaller contracts to get to a medium-sized contract because it's really Anthony Simons' use of Nurkic 
And that's kind of the bulk of what's on the roster to trade, unless they're also willing to part with Shane Sharp, which if you're giving up a number three pick and Simons and Sharp, now you're just getting into, well, you're quite literally letting the entire future walk away from you in order to appease Damian Lillard. And I just, under no circumstance, thought that that was a smart move to make. Clearly, the organization didn't think that was smart either, which is why they held on to number three. And if you're going to draft a number three and Victor Weminyama and Brandon Miller are off the board, you're going to take Scoot Henderson because the drop-off after those guys, in my opinion, was, was pretty significant. And that's, that's again, that's coming from my perspective, right, given the fallout from, from Camp Whitmore. I know we're going to get in him and talk about him, but given a lot of those potential concerns, I'm not the biggest Amen Thompson fan. Then you're getting into how do one of those forwards like Jairus Walker, Taylor Hendricks fit? Do they justify value in terms of being taken in number three? And you talk yourself into all of these scenarios that ultimately just aren't realistic because Scoot Henderson is a franchise changer. Scoot Henderson is that leader at the point guard position. He is the player who you can legitimately build a team around to contend with him being your first or your second option, ideally probably your second option. You want to get one of those bigger wings to carry more of the load on both sides of the ball, but Scoot Henderson being the player who can man the offense, facilitate, score when needed, I think the jump shot's going to be perfectly fine. To me, there really aren't too many holes in his game that you would look at him and say, yeah, he's not worth one of the top three picks in this draft. They got one of the best players available, and kudos to them because now – whether this franchise keeps Damon and Lillard and they're just going with this incredible backcourt where they can essentially have two top offensive options on the floor at any given time. Maybe they move on from an Anthony Simons and look to trade him for other pieces, or they just trade Damon and Lillard and they finally embrace going with the rebuild and they choose to have, you know, that trio. You can even play Scoot Henderson, Anthony Simons and Shane Sharp in time. I believe all three of those guys can be on the floor together. Mm -hmm. So they have, a bunch of directions they can take as a franchise, but they aren't handcuffed in any way because they traded their future away to try and appease Dame in the short term. And again, any of those guys, they're either on expiring deals or they have options in play that could make them free agents after a year or so anyway. So to, to, to me, you just, you don't trade that much future value for one of those guys. So I'm glad that they ultimately stuck and made that pick. That leads us to, the second group, which would be at pick six, the Orlando Magic took Anthony Black. At number seven, this was actually a trade in between the Pacers and the Wizards. So ultimately, Bilal Kulabuli went to the Indiana Pacers. I mean, to the Washington Wizards. Jairus Walker went to the Indiana Pacers. Taylor Hendricks was selected at number nine to the Utah Jazz. And then Kaysen Wallace was a selection of the Thunder, who actually traded up with Dallas in another. So we saw two trades inside the top 10 on draft night it certainly surprised us on our stream maxwell out of that group of picks which one was your favorite yeah i'm i'm gonna go jaris and pair it with the shenanigans that went around it right like okay. they did the hold them hostage move where they take kula valley and people weren't quite sure what the trade-up situation was going to be if it was going to be uh the wizards trading up if it was possibly utah that was going to be trading up uh but yeah you get a bonus draft pick you move back one spot and you get a guy that fills a team need. Um, Jairus is strong as a tank. He's going to rebound. He's going to give him some real, real toughness and size and length in Indiana that hadn't been there before. Um, and he's another playmaker on the court because as much as I love Tyrese Halbert and as much as I want Tyrese Halbert to have the ball, 
um, there needs to be playmaking that comes outside of the guard spot on that roster. Yep. Like you can't just have him and Nemhard be the only guys at table set. And like even Duarte was a guy like back in college would throw some like wild passes. That's never been Ben, ben Matherin's cup of tea, even though he's gotten better with it. Miles Turner's not like a decision maker. So sure. getting a guy like Jarris in there who not only ticks a lot of boxes for you, but is going to be able to play next to a stretch five. that's going to space out the floor for him and allow him to really attack downhill whether it's as a handoff guy, a, a role man, whatever the role is, it, it's going to be kind of an ideal fit for him. And that was something mm-hmm. that we discussed off the air. It's like, is, is Jairus going to require a more narrow fit than people might realize? And now, like, we don't have to worry about that. He's in an no. ideal fit situation. Uh, there is plenty, plenty, plenty of shooting around him. So even if that takes a while to get there, he's still going to be able to do his thing and, and make a real impact. And now, defensively, similar to another team in the same range, like, the amount of just rim protection is outrageous yep. that you're getting out of that out of that four or five spot. So I liked Jairus a lot here, especially with getting the extra value and the bonus pick out of it too. Exactly. That's that's kind of something that I'm writing about for NoSillingsNBA.com. Spoiler alert, Jairus Walker was also one of my favorite picks. He's not who I will talk about here, but mm-hmm. just to sort of add to, to what Maxwell was talking about, something big that I was calling out on our draft night stream was this philosophy to where when you come into the draft and you have a lottery selection, the majority of the time, people like us in the media or other scouts or, or other executives always want to have these discussions, be it on the record or off the record, of let's mock players to these teams based on how they can possibly turn weaknesses into strengths and help this team ultimately rebound and add value in the short term. And while we love to talk about those types of scenarios, the reality is, and, and Maxwell and I actually talk about this all the time, rookies do not lend themselves to winning a ton of games right out of the gate. So sometimes the best way to actually approach the draft is to select players who best fit your system and play to your strengths. And Jairus Walker does that with the Indiana Pacers, right? As you mentioned, his, his connective ability as a playmaker in, in half court settings within the offense, you know, him acting out of a short role and being a playmaker there, him getting in, in certain post-up situations and being someone who can pass out of the post. You talk about how he fits in with this team defensively in terms of being a playmaker. The, the, the Indiana Pacers weren't the best team defensively last year in terms of just playing one-on-one defense and keeping guys and, and restraining them from getting to their spots, but they were active in making plays on the ball and getting out in transition. That's what Jarris did a lot for Houston, you're not asking him to be this immediate one-on-one ball stop. You're just asking him to do a lot of what he already knows how to do defensively. So on both sides, Jairus has ways in which he can just come in and complement the game while also having all of the upside that Maxwell talked about as far as how he can ultimately round out the rest of his game. So I love that selection. I have to say, though, that my favorite pick comes, obviously, in the other half of that deal. So the Washington Wizards getting Bilal... I mean, Maxwell, you know that I've talked about this guy too much. And I, I'm sure everyone in the audience is probably like, Nate, you really need to stop talking about Bilal at some point. Like, you kind of <laughs> get all the points you've been trying to make for months. But I do want to say with the Washington Wizards taking a swing on him, right? So they they stripped down the foundation of this team. This team went from Bradley Beal, Chris Porzingis, and Kyle Kuzma to all three of those guys being out the door, either electing to leave or being traded away. So now you have guys like Tyus Jones and Jordan Poole coming in in the backcourt. You still have some carryovers like, like Denny Avdia. Hopefully you're going to get more development out of someone like Johnny Davis. 
next year. You have like Daniel Gafford in the center spot. So you have some fun young pieces, but you also don't necessarily have anyone who you're looking to, to commandeer the franchise into a top six playoff spot right out of the gate next year. You know, this team's going to be bad. You know, they're probably going to be back near the top of the lottery again next year. So why not take a swing on one of the highest upside prospects left available in the field and Blau Koulibaly, for, for all that he may very well prove to be, nothing more than a role player who's like a top eight, top nine guy. You bring him in off the bench to, to be a change of pace, to guard multiple positions because he's not bringing you the necessary offensive value. What I saw and what I wrote about from his play in, in Espoir was that this guy actually does have some more on-the-ball juice than we initially anticipated, more than he got to show with Victor and Mets 92, someone who has some fluidity and creativity in the pick and roll, someone who is a, a deadly downhill scorer and an attacker at the rim, you know, bringing the ball out of certain ball screen situations or getting, getting the ability to drive towards the basket, you know, off of a free lane, right? He has the ability to put pressure on the rim in ways that some of these other guys in this range don't have the ability to do so. And then you throw in all the complementary defensive aspects. You throw in how he's growing as a secondary and tertiary playmaker. The, the, the pick and roll game, like I mentioned, is improving. And guys at his size, 6'8", 7'2", wingspan, his feet, his mobility, his fluidity, these guys just don't come around as often as we'd like to admit in the draft. And it's they're all reasons why he ultimately rose up draft boards and, and teams felt like, they had to move inside the top 10 or make moves inside the top 10 to ultimately get a chance to take him, which is why Washington ended up trading up, you know, essentially going up a spot, giving up two second round picks to do it. But in turn, they're getting a guy that can, who knows, potentially be the face of the franchise one day if his development pans out correctly. Now, I will say one thing, Maxwell, I'm curious to get your take on this before we move to the next group of guys. I have a little bit of hesitancy in terms of this perfect long-term fit between mm -hmm. Koulibaly and the Washington Wizards because of how high he was taken. There is a chance that fans expect too much of him out of the gate and that this could pan out to be a poorer situation than you and I would want it to be within the first few years because maybe a little bit too much is put on his plate early rather than giving him the type of patience he's going to need to keep developing because as much as I like to get excited about him, Maxwell, you, he's far from a finished product. So do, yeah, do you have yeah, any, yeah. any sort of thoughts to throw in there? No, I, I agree with that. I think there's some truth to that. And I think that's true of like every team picking the lottery in general, like yeah. Rucker put together that thread of like, here's the, like every player taking it like 10, 11, 12, 13. And like those guys generally are not great. Like you like, you'll have like two or three all-stars, a two or three starters. And then a bunch of guys that like end up just kind of not being good. Like it's, yeah. It's much harder to hit on guys at any point in the draft than than people would would like to believe. So that that is a real possibility. I think the fact that they're gonna have a guy like Jordan Poole in there is gonna like alleviate a lot. That it's like, well, all right, well, you have like one guy who's gonna be like, look, I'm the guy. Jordan Poole can at least average like 26, 27 points oh, gosh, if he yeah. need, needs to on high volume. So mm -hmm. yeah, he he's gonna be the guy running the offense. So like it's not like they're giving blue all the ball and like rolling it out to him being like, go, go score. Go like he's going to be able to assume night. a little yeah. bit of a role out of the gate, which I think is good for him. Fair enough. And, and, and I would agree with that. And that's, that's the hope with what his development looks like with the Washington wizard. So moving on to picks 11 through 15, the Orlando magic boy, surprise of the night by a lot of people, not necessarily for us at no ceilings, but for a lot of, analysts and scouts out there they did not expect jet howard to go 11th overall to the orlando magic that's where he went 
The Mavericks traded back to 12 in that deal with the Thunder. They ended up taking Derek Lively. The Toronto Raptors got Grady Dick at 13. To round out the lottery, Jordan Hawkins went to the New Orleans Pelicans at 14. And then Kobe Bufkin actually slid a little further than people were initially anticipating. He went 15 to the Atlanta Hawks. So, Maxwell, out of that group, which one was your favorite selection? I love the Derek Lively pick. It's one that I feel like I made a million times in different mock drafts over the like, last couple of months. And the fact that they were able to trade back and still get them, I, I love it. Like, this is a team that we've talked about a million times. Very deficient in terms of their athleticism, getting really thin and kind of old at the center position, and no one that's just like real bouncy, long, athletic, like yep. really anywhere on the roster. Like that's just not the kind of guy that they have. Um, so by getting Derek Lively, you're getting someone who brings a lot of scheme versatility um, and playing alongside stars like Kyrie and Luca is a guy who's going to be content not playing with the ball, right? Like. This is not a guy you can say a lot of things about his Duke film. I would not call Derek Lively over assertive offensively. <laughs> if anything, it's the opposite issue. So sure. see him in a place like Dallas is going to be a really clean fit uh, on the offensive side of the ball. I like his passing a lot. Um, it's something I've spoken about quite a bit. I'm, I'm a believer in him making decisions and, and orchestrating a little bit of offense, becoming a short roll guy in time. Um, if, if the really exciting stuff comes around, awesome. Like if he's, draining threes at some point whatever but like i don't know when i saw him at the mcdonald's game it was just so clear that it's like there just aren't a lot of dudes that are this big and move like this guy and the fact that he displayed such good defensive technique you're going to be able to roll him out and whatever kind of coverage you want to run on that side of the floor he's going to finish at a high level even if there's not a ton else there like yep. at 12 you're getting good value even if like he is the guy you saw at duke and nothing more like even if that just is what he is it's a good pick considering what the team is and where they're headed um, but he does still have that upside and you, you can't deny it. And if it hits, like you finally got another young, like potential actual star that you can yep. pair with Luca if all the good stuff comes around. Are, are you confident in some of that upside hitting? Because I think that's, that's maybe the selling point that, that wasn't sold as aggressively when a lot of Mavericks fans are like watching people talk about the draft, for example, or yeah. they have the TV broadcasts on and they're not necessarily bringing up these aspects in relation to his upside. They're talking about the player who he is now, which fills a need for the Mavericks, that was clear as day they needed to address the defensive side of the ball. But you and I are actually excited about these factors in relation to his upside. And I actually am confident that some of them are going to pan out in, if not a significant way, a meaningful enough way to where they're able to pop in certain situations for the Mavericks. I'm assuming you feel the same way because you also had a pretty high grade on Derek Lively like I did. Yeah, item 10. And I, I do think some of it's going to come around. I'm a little bit more bullish on like the passing side of things. Like I've always just really seen it with him in yep. terms of how he reads the floor. And like, I think if you're getting somebody that can protect the rim the way that he does, move the way that he does, hang on an island the way that he does, and then just finish and pass, like that's already like one of the better centers in the end. Yep. So uh, that's what I really buy. The jump shot, I'm kind of like, meh. Like the fact that you were not taking some real open unguarded looks at Duke this year has me a little hesitant. I know he makes him in workouts. I know he made him in high school. I wrote about it being part of the reason why I still liked him in college after his slow start this year. But um, yeah, I'm not like totally convinced that gets there. That's fair. That's a completely fair take to have. And, and I, I agree with you on the lively pick. I thought it was great by Dallas to be able to move off of a contract, right. And bring back some value and essentially getting your guy, at 12, moving back, figuring that out with Oklahoma City. They ended up going up and getting their guy 
Case and Wallace, which I'm actually a little surprised you didn't pick Case and Wallace as your guy. I know you, I love you. Case you and, love yeah. Case and Wallace so much. Um, but I'm actually glad you went a different direction and talked about the the Jarrett pick because I also thought that was a great pick. My favorite pick in this range was Jed Howard to, to the match okay. by far, and I was I was on air for the No Ceilings NBA Live Draft Show, so I actually got to discuss the pick as it happened. There were so many people who thought that Grady Dick was going to be the selection for Orlando at 11, given the fact that they went Anthony Black at six. So you're bringing in another potential non-shooter to pair in the backcourt with Markel Fultz and Jalen Suggs, two guys who also aren't offering shooting at a high volume and high efficiency. So you need that spacing to come from somewhere with Paolo and Franz commanding a lot of the ball. And now you're bringing in Anthony Black. You still have Markel Fultz there. Somebody on the court needs to be able to shoot. So you knew that was going to be a concern that they addressed with their second lottery selection? Was it going to be Gritty Dick? Was it even going to be someone like Jordan Hawkins skyrocketing all the way up to 11? I know Gavoni had Hawkins mocked a few times to Orlando at 11, like right after the lottery concluded. So we thought both of those names are going to be in play. And Jet Howard, because of those double ankle injuries, because of some concerns around his defense and the lack of rebounding and the lack of elite at-rim finishing, he slid down draft boards from where he was earlier in the year, which was like a consensus top 10 player to the first yeah. half of the season yeah. for us in those ceilings, Maxwell, I think it was like seven, eight, somewhere like on our draft mm-hmm. boards at different points. So we were all very high on him. I think a lot of us still remained high on him in terms of having him in the lottery. Albert even finished with him inside of his top five. So like no yeah. ceilings yeah. kind of we stuck were to like, their guns. It was so funny. I had one friend who was like, Oh, like I want to watch your draft show. And this is like on Saturday, like just hanging out, whatever. Yep. And he's he's just getting back into the NBA. He's more of a football guy. And he was like, everything I've listened to killed this Jet Howard pick. And you guys loved it. Like he was like, this is the only place I've seen that's like, way to go, Orlando. They got their guy. Like we're the only people it feels like that are all about this pick. But I loved it. I thought it was great. Like you've got to consider the player he was before those injuries. And that guy yep. is like a guy you reasonably take in the top 10. So what what Jed Howard brings to the table is what Grady Dick and Jordan Hawkins would also bring to the table, which is shooting, right? We know that he's going to be a spot-up guy. You can actually have Jed Howard work off screens. You can get him off the move. He can relocate. He moves more without the basketball. So you get a lot of those things you're getting with those other two guys, and you're getting someone who can shoot 40-plus percent from three-point range on higher volume. Even though there are some other issues in relation to his game, what those two other guys don't provide for you, Maxwell, if his upside comes around, is the ball handling and the passing. Jed Howard is a legitimate ball handler and space creator on the perimeter. He can get his own shot off from three-point range or even coming off of a screen. He can get to a step back in the mid-range. His passing vision is very underrated, especially coming off out of certain pick and roll actions, even working off a DHO from a passing standpoint, or if too much gravity and defensive attention is brought onto him, he can find a roll man for a lob. He can kick the ball else to where it needs to go. He can swing it back around. I'm buying those two things fitting really well within Orlando's offense because it means that he can act as a tertiary creator on the floor, right? As a third option, as a fourth option, he can take pressure off of Paolo and Franz or even Fultz or Suggs to a certain extent when they feel like they have to do every single thing for this team in terms of scoring or setting someone else up for a look. Jet Howard can also do those things himself, which is why I think he better complements those guys. He fits into the style of play that Orlando wants to uh, operate under 
the the amount of actions that this team can run now offensively because all of these guys are willing movers without the basketball. They can all cut. They can all pass. They can all handle it. So I just think what Jet Howard brings to the table, now you're starting to build a lineup offensively closer to what Oklahoma City's been doing with the Thunder, and it just makes the Magic that much more of an exciting team on the come up in the Eastern conference. I, I think they're going to challenge for, for a play in slash playoff spot. I firmly believe that we think they're going to add some more veteran pieces in free agency. Maybe they're even in position to make a trade for somebody. We don't fully think is on the, on the table yet, or we haven't fully heard in trade talks. Maybe Orlando's able to jump in there because of future draft assets. Some of the other young guys they have on the roster. I think Orlando's in position regardless to make a jump in the standings. And I think jet Howard's going to have something to do with it. Yeah. Given the options, Maxwell, that you could have had at that spot as far as shooters, like you, you, you love the pick in terms of him versus those two other guys, right? Like I, I do. I, I jet Howard. I jet higher than both of those guys. So for me, it's like if you take a shooter in that range, Jet was the guy to take. Don't you kind of just want somebody at that size who can also handle the ball and, and pass more so yeah. than just like a standard in like spot up guy? For sure. And and that's like the thing with Hawkins. Like I, I was texting you like when I was doing my Hawkins deep dive and like, I was like the pick and roll film is like a little terrifying. Like some of the yeah. open reads that he would miss. Like there was one possession that like is just burned into my brain where he missed Caravan twice. Like he missed Caravan on a pop and then Caravan cut and was wide open and he missed him again. And like both times it was a very, very like right in front of his face type of thing. And he didn't get it done. And like, I'm a little more bullish on Greedy Dick as a decision maker. I thought he got a lot better in the last year. Like, I did not like him at all in that respect coming out of high school. But, like, he's not – he doesn't have, like, the rhythm and rock with the ball that a guy like a Jet Howard does. Like, he's not going to put it on the floor and even, like, create, like, a mid-range look, really. And I think, like – I know he was really good in transition, but he had some ugly misses off of movement. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just not – convinced that he's like a real movement shooter as much as just like a bona fide floor spacer and there's nothing wrong with that like that's i think grady dick's gonna play in the nba for a long time but i I just like the dynamism that jeff brings both in terms of what he can do with the ball to like set up himself and set up teammates and just as a movement shooter i think he's a lot further ahead he's not hawkins but like he's he's bigger than hawkins he's a way better decision maker so don't you think the rim finishing is going to improve as well like to a certain extent maybe not take like a drastic leap but i do think it's going to improve at least slightly because that's that spacing for orlando i don't think it's going to be as cramped as people think it is because they Mm -hmm. they do kind of like to play a five out style at times right like wendell carter will space the floor for this team he's comfortable playing out you know at the free throw line or beyond the three-point line they'll go with a guy like bull bull at the five who can space the floor I, I imagine they're going to continue to run more creative lineups with like Powell at the fly, the five who clearly won't be clogging the paint for someone like Jet Howard. You know, if he's coming off of screen and he has a lane to get downhill towards the basket, more likely than not, he's probably going to have one man to beat to get there. And I do trust him as that sort of finisher around the basket. I don't think he's going to need to take as many of these attempts as he could have either, you know, cl- paints clogged in traffic or there's so much tension on him that the defense is consistently focused on walling off Jet Howard to get to the basket as opposed to some of these other guys they have on the team. I think those two problems were what set up a lot of his struggles at Michigan. And I, I think a six seven guy is going to be able to finish better at the basket if he has easier looks to at the end of the day. That's just that's just my opinion. Again, not mm-hmm. like a drastic leap, 
but I do think some of it's going to be easier for him just because of how Orlando can can space and and operate with more movement and, and better players overall. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. I love I love that pick. All right, so we're going to take one quick break. When we come back, we are going to go through the rest of the first round and our favorite selections within. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. That first round. All right, and we are back. So, Maxwell, we are up 16 through 20. At 16, the Utah Jazz took Keontae George. At 17, the Los Angeles Lakers took Jalen Hochefino. At 18, the Miami Heat took Jaime Jaquez. At 19, the Golden State Warriors took Brandon Pachemski. And at 20, the Houston Rockets took Cam Whitmore. So you already alluded to it, but what was your favorite selection within this group? Yeah, it's Cam Whitmore. Uh, I, I, I think if I, – look – I'm I'm really confused to be honest. Maybe we got some smoke blowing our way, right? Sure. But it seemed like there weren't a lot of reports about like him being bad in workouts until like the week of the draft. Like we we had some pretty firm, like solidly sourced, uh, like he looked good in workouts, and I've continued to hear that from people with. With teams like you're like, yeah, no, I, I still don't get it. Like, I don't get the whole like he didn't look good thing. So maybe he had some bad workouts. I, I understand people were mad about the interviews, and that could always be a thing. And sometimes guys don't want to play for certain teams, they might not give it their all when they're working out or interviewing with the team. Sure. You know, it's like it's like the my player mode in 2K when like you'd get <laughs> interviewed by a team and they'd be like, What's your goal in the NBA? And it's like, I want to like win the championship, or like I want to commit crimes. Like it's like you <laughs> Sometimes you purposely give teams the wrong answer just so that you can be like, all right, like I don't really want to play here. Sure. Uh, so that, that could be part of it. It's, it's hard to know. But here's the bottom line. I had this guy fourth on my board. You got him at 20th. Yep. That, that's a win. This is a guy who's one of the youngest players in the draft. He is a freight train going to the basket. Tremendous multi-positional defender. Lights out three-point shooter. Everything with a knee based on what Gavoni was saying uh was it like it sounds like it might not be an issue till later in his career which like great glad i know that now like we can get a little bit in front of it manage it a little bit find the best way to deal with it i'm still taking that guy like top 10 every single time let alone at 20 like if if you were like his knee is you know hanging on by a thread i'm still taking him at 20 (laughs) if i'm the houston rockets if this guy's got a pulse and he's on the board. I'm taking him at 20. So I love that pick. You still got to find your guy if you're the Rockets. Like, you don't want to be one of those teams that, like, you get a bunch of guys that are okay. Like, this is the problem the Chicago Bulls had, where it's like yep. you got Lowry Markin and you got Wendell Carter, and, like, they were all just fine. And then, you, well, now Lowry's a little more than just fine now, unfortunately, after they've traded him. Uh, but the, the, the worst thing that can happen is, like, you're just stuck in that pur- purgatory being, like, okay and not quite bad enough to get a star so like i love just going for another star here so i completely agree about the value 
of the pick. Like if you can get Cam Whitmore at 20, he was also four on my big board. So I agree. If you can get him there, that that's excellent value. You make that pick. I am incredibly curious. Hopefully we do find out more in some form or fashion, whether we're talking about it or not on a draft deeper podcast, but hopefully in one form or another, we find out what the heck was going on behind the scenes with this fall, because all of the Intel we've heard was that it was a medical fall. And there were things going on from that aspect to where Cam Whitmore drastically fell down a board. But at the same time, we've watched guys like Michael Porter Jr. who had clearly incredibly poor medicals and related to his back had some scouts actually have come out and said it's one of the worst pre-draft medical reports they've ever seen. And that dude still went in the lottery, right? It was back end of the lottery. So like, how did Cam Whitmore fall to, to the 20th overall pick? Like I, I do want to know I don't understand. Story. Like think about like Steve Nash's back in 2007, right? Like everyone's like, oh, his back is cooked. And the son's like found a way to just like prolong his career. It's 2023. Yeah. Like, can we, I don't know. I understand that there are some teams with like a sketchy medical track record that maybe, like, oh, maybe we don't want to do this. Um, anyway, you see the Lonzo Ball report. Uh, but anyway, uh, I, uh, it's one of those things where, yeah, like I, I just believe in modern medicine. Like, I, I think that there's been enough guys that like we've seen manage to maintain their health, like a guy like Joel Embiid, guys like late career Steve Nash. Like if a guy's willing to take care of his body and you know what steps to take, like you so can, that's the you big can keep him right? healthy. So so that that's that could be yeah, that might that's be that's the part point. Of it's it's the sold. willingness. So if if teams got the impression that, you know, maybe Cam Whitmore, listen, if you're as good as he is, right? And I, you and I would agree that we think the skill level is higher than what people are initially saying about him. Like I think more of the ball handling's there. I'm buying the shooting with him. I'm buying these skill aspects of his game outside of, you know, we would agree he needs to eliminate some of the tunnel vision to become a better playmaker. Like that, that's obvious. But outside of that, I'm buying into more of the skills package than given credit for. And I just don't think you get to that point given the type of player that he is and you don't care about the game of basketball, right? Like there, there are, there are very clear circumstances where that has actually been the opposite. There are people who we have questions about even in today's NBA, but those cases, right? Like they're few and far between Maxwell. Like we really just don't see too many of those things ultimately come to light. At the end of the day, these guys usually figure their bodies out. They usually figure out how to take care of themselves. And they're usually committed to doing the work to actually get to their second, third, fourth contracts and ultimately help teams win games. Like, right? Like the, the horror stories are, such a small fraction of the players that actually come into the NBA to where I find it hard to believe to buy into that type of scenario with a guy as talented as Cam Whitmore and let that fear of failure, let that skyrocket him outside of the top 20, outside of the top lottery and ultimately down to the 20th overall pick. So yeah, I'm skeptical of that whole situation as well. But nevertheless, I agree with you about the value. I have one question for you about how the Houston Rockets though are building out this roster. Maybe these concerns are going to be alleviated with what they do in free agency. Maybe they bring mm-hmm. some veterans there. Maybe they make some trades to bring in some veterans. I think this team needs an injection of creativity past the men Thompson and, and Alper and Shenyun. And maybe even maybe even throwing a men Thompson into some of the issues. And I'm more looking the way of Shengun as the player who, in my opinion, is the most creative on that roster. But mm-hmm. what I mean by that is we know Amen Thompson is, is a wildly creative passer, 
with the ball in his hands. When he gets downhill, he can find something when others can't see it. I love that factor about him. But when a man Thompson gets downhill, there will be ways where defenses crowd the paint and essentially make him pass the ball out. So that's one decision where the defense can almost predetermine, in a sense, the outcome of that specific drive, right? The ball gets swung out. If it's going to Jabari Smith, well, Jabari Smith's not going to put the ball in the deck. Jabari Smith is probably going to shoot it or he's going to swing it back around. Jalen Green, guess what Jalen Green's doing? Jalen Green is most likely not even driving to the basket. A lot of the times he wants to dance with the ball and ultimately shoot it from the perimeter. Cam Whitmore, we already know Cam Whitmore is not going to make a lot of high-level decisions off the bounce. He's probably going to catch and look to drive to the basket. There's just, the more I look around this roster, the more I don't see enough creativity to where defenses kind of can kind of just game plan around specific actions that each player on the floor is going to take. And all of a sudden, they make the game much narrower in terms of possible outcome. They're able to dictate more if their defense is up to a certain par. You know, it's it's know your personnel to the studs, and they're able to just game plan around all these different things happening, right? Alper and Shengun to me, is the one guy I look at, and I go, when he touches the ball, I don't know what he's going to do with it every time he touches the ball. He could back somebody down. He could face somebody up. He's been trying to improve his jump shot, and that's been a big thing he's working on this offseason is extending his shot out the three-point range. We know how deceptive of a passer he is and how good he is at using his eyes and throwing off defenders and making the ball go a completely other direction. Like We know when he gets the ball, he can do something I'm not expecting to happen with it. I just don't know if I'm seeing enough of that within the rest of the roster and when you look at a lot of these teams in the playoffs, they have guys who can put the ball on the deck and, and make decisions very reactive to what the defense is giving them. I don't know. Am I being a little too hard? No, I think that's fair. Because, like, the, I mean, obviously, like, the point of all this is, like, you want to eventually build a team that competes for a title. And, like, right. having that many guys that can't do that is a little a little concerning. I think, And, I think and the, ta- the talent's and They ridiculous. can get better, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the ta- the overall talent on this roster is freaking ridiculous. You have you know Operan Shenku, Jalen Green, Cam Whitmore. You still have Kevin Porter Jr. You have Jabari Smith, Tari Eason. Like you're looking at this young core, and you think that by 2025, 26, this team could potentially contend for something really special in the NBA. But I think they're much further from getting to that point than some people may realize. And it's going to continue to take tinkering with this roster and legitimate, legitimate skill development, I think, for this core to, to get there. And again, may, maybe I'm a little harsh. You, you think it's a fair point. I think it's a fair point. But that's kind of why I maybe didn't come away like running laps and circles around yeah, the yeah, fact yeah, that sure. the Houston Rockets absolutely nailed this draft to a T. They nailed it from a value perspective. I just have questions about where this team is going from an organizational construction standpoint that that's kind of where I'm at. I don't know if you feel the same. About the no, I, I agree. I think that's, I think that's completely fair. Okay. So my favorite pick in this range was Jaime Hawkins to the heat. This it is this, very Miami heat. This is very Miami heat. This is very much. So a culture play to me, they addressed a legitimate need on this roster, which was, we saw way too many times in the playoffs Without Tyler Hero on the floor, it was Jimmy Butler and it was Bam Adebayo. And there were few other guys on that entire roster who could actually put the ball in the deck, get to the basket, create something for himself or someone else, right? We saw Gabe Gabe Vincent go into superhero mode a few games, but ultimately he's not that same type of player. 
right? We know Duncan Robinson's not that guy. Max Struess. We can go on and on down, down the roster in terms of these role players who outperformed in certain ways, but they aren't capable of maximizing and pushing this team's ceiling forward as much so they can raise the floor a little bit with some good performances, but they aren't they aren't pushing the ceiling forward, right? Not that I'm expecting Jaime Hawkins to become a star, but I do think what he's good at is is a is a key ingredient that this team's missing from its other role players. And that's why I thought that they absolutely nailed this pick. This guy's going to come in. He's going to work his tail off. He's going to bring the right attitude. He's competitive as all hell. We heard all about him killing these workouts, every single workout he was in. He was just destroying guys. And I firmly believe he's going to bring that attitude to every single game, which is exactly what the Miami Heat want. And he's going to give them a skill set that they just don't have from these other role players on the roster. So filling a need, bringing someone who plays to their culture strengths. I absolutely love this pick for them. Job well done for the Miami Heat getting Ime Hawkins. All right. 21 through 25. Mm-hmm. So at 21 and 22, the Brooklyn Nets had back-to-back draft selections. They took Noah Clowney and Dariq Whitehead. Portland Trailblazers had another pick at 23. They got Chris Murray. The Dallas Mavericks actually traded up to 24. They they, they were involved in another draft. They traded in that pick from the Sacramento Kings. They drafted Olivier Maxos Prosper. And then at 25, the Detroit Pistons actually got involved in some trade shenanigans. And they ended up with that pick getting Marcus Sasser out of Houston. So Maxwell, out of that range of prospects, which one was your favorite pick? I really liked the Omax pick in okay. Dallas. So... I, I like it for some of the reasons I like the Derek Lively pick. Like this is a guy who doesn't need the ball, big athletic, they need size, blah, blah, blah. But I think what makes Omax so intriguing here is that he's giving them more of like a perimeter oriented defender, which is something that they could use on this team. Uh, especially since Dorian Finney Smith has been shipped out of town. Um, but I also think like he does have a real upside. And I think that was part of what, got lost between like the combine and the day of the draft. Like it was one of those things where it felt like he was driving up boards because everyone's like, Oh well, yeah. Like he, he did well at the combine. So like, he's better than a lot of these guys. So he'll go in the first round, but like a big worry with him was that he was this very low assist rate guy at Marquette. But a lot of that was the product of playing alongside Tyler Kolick and also Godara who had the ball in their hands substantially more than he yep. did. He was stringing guys out off the dribble. He was making good passes. He was playing with his head up. And that is all like playoff guy stuff, especially when you consider that like the thing I my big take with him from the combine was like just from a physical body athletic movement perspective, he looked the most like a guy you could plug into an NBA playoff game tomorrow. Um, if those ball skills continue to improve and this is a guy that's taken and made more threes every single season, like you might be getting one of those forwards and wings that everybody wants on their team at 24, which is like pretty, pretty difficult to do. But even if he, again, it's the same thing with Lively Pick, where, like, even if he is just a pretty basic, like, guy who guards the ball really well and knows how to cut and play without the ball and move off the ball on a team that is so heliocentric in terms of how they play, he's still going to be a real value add. I would agree 100% with the OMAX pick. We thought he was going to be gone by this point. We thought that he would be gone within, like, the top 20. That was some of the intel Mm -hmm. we were hearing. So for him to still be around there... I mean, I would have actually kind of loved for Sacramento to keep that pick. And yeah, I thought like the same him. thing. I was like, yeah. So I was kind of surprised that they moved off it and, and let Dallas make that selection. But nevertheless, bringing in two guys, Derek Lively and Omax, who are going to immediately upgrade that defense. Absolute brilliance. I agree 
by the Mavericks. My favorite pick in this range, I bet you there's virtually no one who would make this pick outside of Detroit Pistons fans, but I mm. really love the Marcus Sasser pick. I do too. That was the other one I was thinking about here. So if you look at this Pistons depth chart, Maxwell, I'm sorry. I don't think Killian Hayes is going to be around on this team long-term. I think he's probably going to be moving on to another situation. I would be shocked if he's on this Pistons team past like maybe Mm -hmm. another full year, right? So behind that, you really don't have any other guards on this roster who can come in, handle point guard duties, and then give you what Sasser can, can provide you, which is outside shooting, shot creation, pick and roll passing, and then point of attack defense to me was also a big ingredient to this. So you mm-hmm. need a third guard who can come in and mix it up defensively, especially when I can foresee matchups in which you don't want Cade Cunningham and Jay Nivey guarding at the point of attack. So then you're looking at, well, they could look the way of Asar Thompson, who we think also has all defense potential in the NBA because of how great he is or he, how great he projects to be on that side of the ball. But if he's that good on defense, you want him playing against the other team's best weight. I don't necessarily want to be pulling him to, you know, guard another team's point guard, for example, and and have him consistently working at the top of the court all the time. I want Asar Thompson being able to play on the wing or defend in space so that he can play to his strengths, right? Play passing lanes, force turnovers, get the team out in transition. Marcus Sasser is that type of hound who you do not want him guarding you when you have the ball in your hands, especially at the top of the floor, right? You you actually threw out, I believe, an amazing stat. During the, wasn't that you that threw out that stat? Yeah, so, about his pet, so, point of attack defense? yeah so he's just like the most plug-and-play guy in this range. So Sasser um, made like 46% of his catch-and-shoot threes and forced yep. a turnover 34% of the time when guarding the pick and roll ball. That's what I, that's the one I was so a for, yep. third of the time, like you're going to turn it over when he's guarding in a pick and roll, which is obscene. It's obscene. Like that is not, I've never, like this is the kind of data and stuff that I love to track and get into. Like, I don't see guys approaching that number ever. Like it is right. truly, truly obscene. So uh, yeah, he's just, he's a menace. He's, very malleable because he is so good off the catch that like he doesn't really need to play with the ball the thing i'm most intrigued and like the big swing skill with him because a lot of times like these senior guys no one talks about swing skills it's just like he catches shoots he plays defense whatever he didn't really get downhill a lot in college but he finished better this past year but think about how cramped the court was a yep. lot of the times at houston like they always had like a traditional big man who was usually like, traditional but still like six eight whatever I do wonder if there might be more of a downhill game to him with how quick he is. Um, so like, that's the one thing that like, if he can do that, then you're dealing with like a starting guard at some point. Absolutely. And, and like I said, I think there's going to be situations where you can throw him into a closing lineup because you just want yeah. him on the floor defensively. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was a very valuable pick for the Pistons to make it 25, get that third guard, get someone who you're confident is just going to be in the NBA playing a position of need for a long time versus another one of these swings or projects when you already have a number of these guys on the roster anyways, if you're the Pistons. And, and that's a point that Maxwell's made so many times on this podcast, you only have so many resources to be able to, to offer to, to these players who are, you know, longer term projects, right? Sometimes you just need to bring in a player who could contribute in certain areas right away and still has room like Maxwell talked about to grow out his game and, and branch out into a starting role. All right. So, Picks 26 through 30, 
Ben Shepard went to the Pacers at pick 26. Nick Smith went to the Charlotte Hornets at pick 27. Bryce Sensball went to the Utah Jazz at 28. Julian Strother went to the Denver Nuggets at 29. And Kobe Brown went to the Clippers at pick 30. Maxwell, favorite pick in this range. I have got to go with our guy Bryce going to the Utah Jazz. Okay. So if the medical is as bad as it was being made out to be, and from what I understand, it's it's three oper- knee operations in five years, which is like public. Like that's that's out there. That's what he's had. I'm already getting Keontae George, who doesn't have health questions. I'm getting Taylor Hendricks, who doesn't have health questions. I'm a competitive team. I was I was almost in the play in this past year. Why am I not like taking a guy like Bryce Sensabaugh at the yep. end of the first round? Like this is one thousand percent the times of the kind of home run home run home run swings you should be going for if you're the Utah Jazz at this stage in your development. And like we talked about too when we were doing our final mock, like they are thin when it comes to guys in that like six five to six eight range. Like it's they just don't have a ton of guys that size on their roster right now. So positionally. Fills a bit of a need that that Hendricks is someone who's more of like a bigger like four, uh, Keontae more giving him that youth injection at the guard spot. They need somebody who's roughly that size and like Sensabaugh is going to have an opening to see the floor right away if he's able to get if he's able to earn those minutes and like we we see that Demar Derozan in there like Corey Tullibor wrote about for the site and like you got to do it you got to do it if, if he's sitting there and you're a team that has not only three picks in this draft, but all these other picks coming down the pipe from Minnesota and these other trades. Mm-hmm. Like, this is the kind of calculated bet that you take every single time. I'm a tad confused as to why the Indiana Pacers didn't take a swing on him, right? Having that 26 pick, I think they could mm-hmm. have definitely been a team to make a play for Bryce because of a need at the wing position. But they actually sort of did go in that direction. And I know that we view this player as more of like a combo guard or, or like a true two. We don't necessarily think about him as someone who can slide up and play the three in different situations. But I actually think that's in the cards for Ben Shepard. I yeah. 100% do. Ben Shepard out of Belmont. That was my favorite pick in this range. And it could have been Maxwell's favorite selection as much as Bryce Sensabaugh's because Maxwell was way in on Ben Shepard far before I was. But when I came around on Ben Shepard, I came around hard. I, I think mm-hmm. this guy is, to in my mind, without a doubt, should have been a top 25 pick. I could have made an argument for him going inside the top 20. At the end of the day, you just don't find guards with his size, six foot five, six foot six, decent length. He is an underrated athlete. He is to, he is he one jumped, of the quicker- he did well at the combine. Like he just runs weird. Like that's all it is. He just runs kind of. But funny. he's quick though. Trips- but yeah, yeah. He's he's quick as a whip off the jump. And it's like the the type of versatility he provides in terms of his shooting. He's a comfortable spot up guy. He can shoot off the move. He wasn't the most electric finisher at the basket. That was one of his bigger concerns, but he's able to get downhill. He's able to play in certain pick and roll schemes. He is a, a underrated decision maker off of a live dribble. He's a guy who's going to continuously move. He's going to tire out defenders. He's going to keep defenses on their toes because of how he can he can rise up very quick for a shot. He can get downhill. He can make a decision. He can get to the basket. This is a guy who he just has so many awesome complementary skills to offer at that size. And on top of it, Maxwell, I'm curious about 
your defensive outlook with him because we've talked so much about what he provides offensively and he showed all of that at the combine a big reason why he mm-hmm. rose up draft boards i actually think he's got a chance to guard some threes in the nba like if you told me they yeah. could trot out a lineup with halliburton nemhard or matherin and then like maybe shepherds covering some threes at times like i wouldn't be shocked if that's the direction they went because he's not he's not like a small six six like he's put together pretty well and i think all of these guys get bigger in time yeah yeah and that's the thing too is like he's a lot bigger than he was a year or two ago uh and he's still younger for a senior too like i think he's like 21 and a half so it's not like this year there's there's so many like 24 year olds this year um yeah, he's he's still got a, a runway to put some meat on his bones. Um, I I still like him best guarding younger players. I thought that was like the film I enjoyed most of him defensively was actually kind of like guarding down the lineup. So I do feel better with in like his wingspan's only like six eight or six nine, I believe. So like I still would feel better with him at the twos, but I think in a pinch or depending on the matchup, you could play him at the three. Sure, and and again, you also have a piece like Nemhard, who Nemhard swung up and guarded threes mm-hmm. at times this season. Like he he was in Mathurin as he fills out too. Could be could be a guy like that, right? And so the the other point about the depth is that you look at the backcourt options like Halliburton, Nemhard, and Mathurin. We're confident they're going to be around for the long term. How long is Buddy Hill going to stick around? How long is mm-hmm. Chris Duarte and T.J. McConnell going to stick around? Like all of a sudden, the backcourt firepower thins out pretty quickly and right we we think that matherin's the the long-term small forward of the future we we think that jordan Roar is probably going to be in the cards he's like a combo forward for them but the backcourt depth is actually going to thin out pretty quick over the next yeah like, year, chris year is like getting kind of long in the tooth like he might be retiring soon so that's <laughs> that's one to keep in mind every time he comes up i've got to do it uh yeah that we could yeah we could go on to that next range Maxwell's going to make that joke, but yeah, I, I think add it, continuing to add depth where you can with solid quality players, regardless of quote unquote log jam or how you're viewing it positionally. I just want to go and get the BPA. And, and in that range, you can absolutely make an argument that Shepard was among some of those names. And I'm glad that the Pacers ultimately swung and took that pick. All right. So we're going to take one more quick break. When we come back, we are going to fly through the second round and then we're going to get into a little bit of sicko territory talk about some some undrafted free agent fits. All right, and we are back. So moving into the second round, Maxwell, 31, James Nagy to the Hornets, 32 to the Nuggets, Jalen Pickett, 33 to the Timberwolves, Leonard Miller, 34 to the Kings, Colby Jones and 35 to the Bulls. Julian Phillips, the the Bulls certainly made a, a good play moving into the second round and taking a guy who they thought had some upside. So Maxwell, out of that range, who was your favorite pick and why? Got to go with our guy, Leonard Miller. I had him 14 on my board. I just think this guy's going to make it. Like I just period point blank. I cannot envision a world where five years from now, Leonard Miller is not playing rotation minutes in the NBA. He's too good. He plays with too high of a motor. He's too big. And guys that are just that big and play that hard and have like a modicum of skill manage to make it work. Like, I don't know. Like, think about what Paul Reed was coming out of college. And like, he's like carved out this nice little role with the 76ers. Like, look at what Leonard Miller's doing is like an 18 year old who never played anybody good at basketball until like a year ago like i i just it's it's incomprehensible to me yeah i i just cannot imagine a world where this guy fails and i think like if you can rebuild the shot with how good of a free throw shooter he is and some of this other stuff it's like 
you you could be getting like a potential high-end starter if some of that stuff comes around but like again even if it doesn't like it goes back to like hey if you think a guy's an nba player just take him in the second like I think he is. I, I think he's a lot more than that. And it's befuddling to me. And, and Rucker had mentioned this, um, I believe on, on a show and or on Twitter, but like there was a lot of uh, people on Twitter, like him more than people in league circles talk with him. That's fine. You guys don't have to like him, but at 33, you're getting the steal and, and we can check back at five years and see who's right. And, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's the reason they don't like him as much, but just from a character and on court perspective and a production standpoint at 18 years old, with such a little high level experience. It, it made me ill to see him fall out of the first round. So Metcalf asked a great question. When, when mm-hmm. we were on the stream and he said, yeah. what's the difference between Leonard Miller and Josh Minot? My answer to that would be, I'm actually trusting Leonard Miller to, to scale up, especially mm-hmm. as he continues to fill out in his career and do more of the, the four five duties as opposed to the four, three, like my not for as mm-hmm. much as we liked him last year in the draft, he is a unique combo forward prospect who I think yeah. he, he can play the four position, but I actually think he's a, he's an awesome defensive weapon. If you're having him guard some threes and mm-hmm. sort of play on the wing or defending in space, I don't want him scaling up and guarding some of the big men. I think Leonard Miller is yeah. actually going to be able to do that. Is he the most ideal five in terms of you're playing him 36 minutes, you're getting awesome rim protection? Like, no. And that we're no one's asking him to do that either. But I think if you want someone who is going to play that, that nasty four or five spot and be able to give you a lot of the production that you would want from like a backup big man, as well as getting all the intriguing and, and fun ball handling forward – point forward type of upside that he also has in him like that's the type of player I view Leonard Miller as and why I think he adds a a different type of element to this Minnesota Timberwolves team because they they don't have another guy quite like him on this roster it's it's kind of either like they're they're big they go really big or even like their bigger wings like a Jaden McDaniels like the rest of their team is so much more focused on the perimeter they don't have like these nasty I'm just gonna go mess everything up guys who can also run out and transition to handle the ball a little bit. Yeah. And I think that's part of the reason like might not need the shot so much more than somebody like Leonard Miller does is because <laughs> of like that positional situation. Absolutely. So my favorite pick in the range was Jalen Pickett to the Denver Nuggets at 32. Boy, it, it was it was a courageous selection to make, right? To to go get a player who a lot of scouts had at best like in the 50s on their board. A lot of people even had him in like the sixties and seventies, but Jalen Pickett to me was someone who I could envision rising up boards and maybe even going inside the top 45. And the reason why I believe that is because albeit I, I get it. You and I have talked plenty of times about how the production is unconventional and it is unique in different instances, but he's also one of these guys who I just trust to command the second unit. I trust his point guard instincts. I trust his feel. I trust how he can operate within himself at six foot four over 200 pounds. He's not a pushover. He's not going to get pushed around. He can actually deal some punishment on guys and he's just too crafty. He just figures stuff out, right? He's, he's awesome with pump fakes. He's awesome at getting guys up in the air off their spots and he'll find those unique tough windows, short windows to either get up a shot around the basket or whip the ball out to somebody else. You 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 want to double team him when he goes to that funky little post-up move? Fine. He's going to kick it out. He's going to make the right decision and find the open man every single time. 
fine. You, you want to force the ball out of his hands? He'll go spot up. He'll nail jump shots more often than you actually think he will. He's not a terrible jump shooter. Is he a little streaky at times? Sure. But I actually trust him more than I think a lot of other people do as a jump shooter. You get him going on the move. You get him going downhill. He can make the right decisions around the basket or score at it. He's got a floater game. He has way more skill in his bag than I think people want to give him credit for just because it might look a little different. But at the end of the day, I trust the production more often than not. He's a triple-double type guy. He he falls short of guaranteed starter in the NBA because he's not the quickest guy on the floor. And that lack of burst is going to hurt him in certain situations depending on who's guarding him on the other side of the ball. But at the same time, if he's like a third or fourth guard maximal and he's going up against more second units, how many other guys within those backup constructions of the opposing team are actually built to like, yeah, I'm just going to go out there and my only job is to shut down Jalen Pickett. Like, I guarantee that's not what these other teams are going to game plan and scheme around when they're trying to, you know, figure out defensive game plans for the other team. So, like, I just trust what Jalen Pickett's going to give me from a backup slash spot starter perspective. And if I'm confident he's going to hang around and do that for a long time in the league, yeah, he's going to go in that, like, 31 to, to 37 to 40 range. And he's going to be, albeit not the same player, but he's going to be this year's version of Andrew Nembhard. So, like, that's why I, I really like that pick for the Denver Nuggets. All right, 36 through 40. We had the Milwaukee Bucks get Andre Jackson Jr. The Denver Nuggets made another selection in this range off of some trades they did earlier. They got Hunter Tyson, 38. The Boston Celtics added Jordan Walsh at 39. The Atlanta Hawks added Mo Gay. And then at 40, the Los Angeles Lakers selected Max Lewis. So I think I know who your favorite selection was. Mm-hmm. Why don't you enlighten the audience? Yeah, it's Max Lewis. It's Max Lewis. And I, I actually like a lot of these picks in this range. So I. Like, I think Andre Jackson is like a clever, like, why not kind of pick. I think Tyson can fit with the Nuggets. The fact that, like, Walsh is the guy that the Celtics could have just taken at 25, but you get him in four seconds at 38 is, like, pretty sick. Like, I like that. Uh, big bokeh guy after I interviewed him. And then Max Lewis was, like, 21 on my final board. So I, I love Max Lewis. And I think what the Lakers were able to pull off was exceptionally calculated. Um, So they landed some really good two ways. who we'll get to in a little bit that are both just those like that guy could be a role player type players. So you get your safe guys. You just got him outside of the draft. And then with Lewis, like if, if the, Oh, he's too raw. He turns it over too much, blah, blah, blah. He doesn't defend as well as he'd like, doesn't come around. That's fine. You got your safe, like ready to contribute guys outside of the draft in 40 you're getting a guy that if he sticks he's going to be a game changer i love his attitude i love how humble he is he can pressure the rim he finishes when he gets there and he can shoot the cover off the ball when he's six seven and he's that athletic i understand there are some concerns here but when a kid like that is willing to be coached that's a guy you take in the first round and not in the second so if he's there in the second you just take him so i'm i'm all about it and not only those undrafted swings that, like you said, we'll, we'll get to, but also getting Jalen Huchifino at 17. Well, yeah. I don't think he's going to light the world on fire and be like an all-rookie guy in his first mm-hmm. year. His upside, he probably has the highest upside or, or up there with like two or three guys out of anyone taken outside the lottery. So you're still getting a guy who can have that long-term type ceiling, that runway like a Max Lewis. But I do think even in the short term, he's going to be able to play. He's going to be able to produce in certain aspects. I, I don't want to turn the keys over to him to run a team as a point guard right away 
in his rookie year in the NBA, but he is going to be able to get on the floor. He's going to be able to shoot it, create a little bit. And if he gets back to defending like he did in high school, I mean, there's just another one of these guys who the Lakers can walk away. They feel good about what they get in the short term. You give Max Lewis that runway to develop like you're talking about. He could be a really special player for you in a few years. I am going to talk about the Jordan Walsh pick because I loved, I loved what the Boston Celtics did, you know, trading out of multiple spots, ending up picking up multiple second round picks. I saw an interview with Brad Stevens talking about how they were looking forward to future draft positions. They didn't feel comfortable about the type of draft capital they had in the future, both to either select players in the second round or use in trades, right? And we're seeing that become more of a thing with teams, you know, moving off of contracts, getting into the first round, picking up an extra draft pick in the first round. Those second round picks are valuable assets in terms of making those either on the fringe type moves or, or allowing you to, to talk yourself into making a bigger move because you might give up you know, X, Y, and Z first round picks, but you still have these second rounders that depending on the range they're in, you might still be able to get a, a player like some of these other names we're talking about, right? Like a, like a Colby Jones at 34, or a Jalen Pickett at 32, these guys who they may be more ready than we think to come in and produce right away. And they could be role players for you, you know, ninth, 10th, 11 men off the bench to where you're not sacrificing depth. You're able to trade away some of those picks and bring in the veteran players you want to fill out the rest of your starting lineup. So the Celtics were just looking to add more of those types of selections in general, but you're also still able to hold firm and, and move back to a spot to where you're getting a guy like Jordan Walsh, who if, if he hits, he is the perfect type of player that, that NBA teams want in their roster, right? Six foot eight, massive wingspan, built really well, still can still will f- fill out physically and add more to his frame, become stronger. And then I'm buying the ball handling ability from him. I'm buying the slashing ability. He's going to keep improving as a spot-up shooter. Defensively, he's guarding virtually every position on the floor. He's active on the ball. He will make plays off the ball. He'll get steals. He'll, he'll get chase down blocks. I love the type of player that Jordan Walsh is, and I get that he has to meet a certain baseline offensively to justify playing him for X amount of minutes on the floor. But if you're confident you have the plan in place to help him develop and get to that point offensively, this is the type of swing that any smart team should take in the second round, as long as they trust the resources they have in front of them. I do trust Boston to develop Jordan Walsh in the correct way. I absolutely love that they made that pick. So that to me was that that was a home run. All right. 41 through 45, the Charlotte Hornets with Amari Bailey at 41, the Tristan Vucevic at 42 to the Washington Wizards, the Trailblazers get Ryan Repair at 43, the San Antonio Spurs get Sidney Sissoko at 44, and the Memphis Grizzlies stop the fall. They took G.G. Jackson at 45. Mm-hmm. So Maxwell, favorite pick in this range. Yeah, these are just like all guys I had in this range. So to me, this range is just kind of like, yep, you guys, you sure. guys did it. I guess I'll say CD just because like it's cool that there's two guys from France on this team now. Uh, but no, I I think CD is probably like the guy that's most interesting to me in terms of like I kind of buy the potential a little bit more um, than some of these other guys. I think that with City, there's just like a real competitiveness, a real nastiness to him that if he can just play a little bit more under control because like his handle comes loose, he's way worse at the rim than you would expect. He doesn't get up that well um fouls a lot like there's such a cool framework of like a great player here right like this athletic guy the shot isn't busted like can make some smart passes from time to time uh plays hard on defense like it just needs refinement and for san antonio when you're in this position where it's like hey we're getting 
you know, our future franchise superstar. Like I think sometimes teams can rush into building around guys like that a little too quick. Like we saw it with, with Anthony Davis in new Orleans where it's like, Oh, we got to go. Like we got, we got the guy, we got to go. We got to, we got to keep him happy. And it's like, sometimes the way to make him happy is to like build a long-term contender. And by bringing in another guy that's like younger than Victor, like feels like a guy that's going to play in the playoffs. If it it all comes together, like this is the kind of guy you should be targeting in the second round. If you're San Antonio. So, I would agree with the city pick. I, I absolutely adore the Spurs getting him at 44. That was tremendous value. I would have taken city in, in, in the first round, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I backed off of having him too, too high on my board, but I think I still finished with him like 23, something like yeah, that yeah, on my like final them. big mm-hmm. board. So I, I valued his skill set because I want to make a different selection than you. I will say Amari Bailey at 41. Okay. I would have liked this pick a lot more if they didn't take Nick Smith Jr. at the end of the first round. Mm-hmm. I think there's a chance Amari Bailey actually beats out Nick Smith for any sort of like backup guard duties. Like yeah. I think there's a legitimate chance between those two. I I I just think Amari Bailey's a better basketball player right now. I, yeah, I was gonna say one of them does things other than put the ball in the basket and was also <laughs> actually better at putting the ball in the basket too. So I, that was like the one comment when I sent you my final top 100. You said, I think you might be regretting putting Amari Bailey that low because I had him around like 46 or so, I believe. So, because I think um, there's real pathways to him actually becoming a starting guard in the NBA, or in the case yeah. of like with Charlotte, someone who has the mellow ball entrenched as their starting point guard, he can mm-hmm. still be a very capable spot starter slash backup. And guess what? We've seen Lamella Ball now get hurt quite a few times with, with the Charlotte yeah. Hornets and misextended stretches of games. If that's a repeated pattern in the future, you need someone to be able to step in and sort of hold the fourth down while, sure. while he's out for an extended stretch. And I think Amari Bailey can be that guy. Yeah, I think I'm ultimately just not a believer in the shot. I okay. like the volume kind of scares me. The bad free throw percentage scares me a little bit. Not like wild about the pull-up game. And then... The other thing with him too, is that like, I think the combine performance got a little overblown because like, I know people don't stop trying in a combine game, but like a lot of his production came in garbage time. And it was just That's like, everyone's like, he had eight, he had eight assists and no turnovers. And it's like, n- nobody was really doing anything out there. So. Sure. And, and I can, I can co-sign that. I would also look at the, the, you know, the back end of a season with UCLA into the NCAA tournament. He had some real moments where he was not only making decisions with the ball in his hand as like a secondary or tertiary playmaker, but he was also spotting up away from the ball. He was knocking down corner threes. We were seeing instances where the jump shot was coming around for him. So I'm actually buying into his long-term future. Not that he's going to shock everyone out of the gates and be like this awesome, like all rookie second team type sure, guy. Sure. Mm-hmm. But I think he's closer to being a rotational asset than I think people are giving him credit for. And that's why I thought that was a really smart pick for the Charlotte Hornets at 41. You take a swing on Nick Smith Jr. If he doesn't pan out fully to what ideally you want him to be, you still have this other guy in the wings who might even be better than him right now, or at least competitive enough to to be on his level in like a training camp battle. You have another option to go to at that backup guard spot. So, all right, we will lump these two groups into one so okay. we'll, we'll we'll go through these because i do want to get to you talking about some yeah. of your favorite undrafted guys so 46 the atlanta hawks took seth lundy 47 the pacers took mojave king 48 the clippers got jordan miller out of miami 49 the cavaliers took amani bates 50 the okc thunder took keontae johnson at 51 the nets took jalen wilson 52 the suns got tamani camara at 53 
The Timberwolves got Jalen Clark, 54. The Kings and Jalen Slauson, 55. Isaiah Wong went to the Pacers, 56. The Grizzlies took Tarek Babarovich, which I didn't even know he was a player who was <laughs> uh, in the draft pool. Congrats. I, I thought I had everyone in the international ranks covered, but I guess I didn't. Uh, 57, the Wizards got uh, – excuse me, the Warriors get Trace Jackson Davis because of that deal with the Wizards and the Chris Paul trade. Swapping around second rounders, and then 58, the Bucks get Chris Livingston. So, Maxwell, out of that range of guys, who was your favorite selection in the back end of the second round? Yep, it's it's my guy, Tumani Kamara. You know it's Tumani yes. Kamara. I had him early 40s. Um, look, I had TJD higher on my board, so we you can take that one if you wanted. It's sitting right there. So I'm, I'm going to take that here. one because I mm-hmm. wanted you to talk about Kamara, and I figured that's who you'd want to go with. For the record, mine yeah. would also be Kamara. But. So so we're going to see if my – there's a little bit of Kyle Kuzma in their theory is true because like he's going to have a chance to compete for minutes because of how thin the Suns team is. They need guys that are going to guard and play without the ball. And that has been my working theory with Tumani Kamara this whole time. He was like very good at above the break threes off the catch. He's a very good role man. He defends multiple positions. He knows how to help and rotate and do all the things that you want the guys around your star players to do. And his decision-making is going to be kept to a minimum. And I've always said when, when you have creative passing flashes to that level, I'm willing to think that you can really rein things in and sharpen up, even if you're a little bit turnover prone. So I've always been a Chimani Kamara believer, but I think this fit for him in Phoenix is like just gorgeous. I would agree. And they're going to ask him to do literally nothing but shoot the ball or finish easy plays in the half court or, or on the break. Like that's literally all he's going to have to do. He's not going to have to worry about anything else. If that's the case, we saw, especially in settings like Portsmouth, when he was playing with older experienced guys, we saw how productive he can be as a play finisher. So I'm also rocking out with Kamara as a, a top pick in the back end of the second round. But the Trace, the Trace Jackson Davis fall is really interesting. We got more of the backstory as to how that happened, you know, now that we've been X amount of hours removed from the draft. But regardless of whether it should or shouldn't have happened, it did. And we have to reflect on what the results are now, which is TJD is one of those big men that can be a great fit within that warrior system. We've heard a lot of analysts talk about it, so we don't have to go in depth on it, but the fact that he can be that, that secondary playmaker, you can run offense with him. You can run offense through him in the post. He can be someone who grabs a rebound, brings the ball at the floor, and then he will give you legitimate size on the interior. Someone who's not afraid to mix it up against other big men. He will go up. He will block shots. He will grab boards. This team got really small, especially now that we're looking at the Chris Paul trade. So they're going to need size and physicality somewhere from other than just Kevon Looney and Draymond Green. This is their third guy where they can really look and say, well, if Jonathan Kuminga does not pan out in the way we want him to, this is our other answer in terms of adding legitimate front court depth, size, strength, toughness. We're going to go get TJD, who is one of the best big men in college basketball for four years running. We believe that his productivity is ultimately going to translate in some form or fashion in the NBA. And hopefully we're getting the best version of him, which is a nightly double-double machine, someone who can actually, who knows, maybe Trace Jackson Davis ends up being the long-term center of the future. Like we we don't know what the Warriors will look like past next season. There could be a lot of changes made, you know, in a few years from now, depending on how this team ages out, how competitive they are next year. We don't know all of those answers. So let's see. But I think no matter what, they got the best value on the board in the second round and getting him that low in a lot of scout size. So Maxwell, 
this is the part of the podcast you were waiting for. It's not the longest part of the podcast, but it is something nonetheless we can have a little fun with. Favorite undrafted free agent fit. So we got a bunch, we yeah. got a slurry of signings after the draft was concluded. A bunch of guys got great two-way contracts. There were some exhibit tens handed out. We got some summer league invites. So you can go the exhibit 10 slash summer league direction. I try to keep my list more to like who actually got two way contracts, but mm-hmm. favored undrafted fits. Go ahead. Just go yeah, you're, you're really trying to reel me in sicko territory here. So I'll, I'll say it's Colin. Castleton Dude, you can, you can go Lakers. as sick as you want. Just I'm going to mention like a one. bunch of names. Okay. I'm going to mention one, but Colin Castleton to the Lakers is one because like, he's just a guy who is like an NBA center. He just is like, he can yep. really pass the ball. He moves well makes good decisions, finishes plays, like held opponents like under 37% at the rim while also blocking a lot of shots. And like a lot of times there's more of a trade-off there than you would expect where it's like, I blocked a lot of shots, but he also sells out a ton. So like teams actually shot pretty well at the rim against him. Like not the case with Castleton. Uh, And they got Demoy Hodge too. So just like beautiful, like getting plug and play guys. Like with Hodge, I didn't think Hodge was going to get drafted just because of his age, but worthy of a two-way sure so like you're getting two guys that like are ready to just play complementary roles and have played in some pretty big games and are used to the spotlight um want to give a big shout out to the sacramento kings for taking my guy jake stevens on an exhibit let's 10 go. yep i loved let's it go. i'd put him on a two-way he's personally. gonna get a two-way i'm he fully better. confident he's gonna get he one. better especially with sacramento's fit like we always talk about like, oh, maybe they could draft this guy. It's a guy who's like big and can pass a little bit and whatever. It's like Jake Stevens is that guy. Jake Stevens is the guy who is big and can pass. And also, hey, he knocked down like 45% of his threes over the last two seasons. And he's seven feet tall. He's got a 7'10 wingspan. It's like I said, like there was a real case for drafting him just because if you miss, that's not a skill set that's there every single year. Um, so I'll throw him out there as well. Um. Oh, and Sir Jabari Rice to Sacramento was another one where I was yeah. just like, love that, love that. Get him another guard. Um, I think he like is sneaky going to be a player. Like, I think there's a real, real shot he becomes like a role Dude, guy. Dude, there was just no matter where he played all of last Always year, wins. whether college, Portsmouth, mm-hmm. uh, G League, uh, G League camp, uh, he, he, combine. He no matter where he was, he just absolutely killed it. Yeah, I'm. I, I'm. Yeah, I'm writing a lot about him in my column because, like, I, 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 I think he's just so high feeling athletic that there's, there's more to him than people think. But who, who are your guys? So I'll throw out some. I know we we co-signed the Los Angeles Lakers undrafted free agent Hall. That was that was the best one. They they got who else? Who else did they get? I think they got somebody. Oh, they got Alex Fudge too. They got yeah. Alex Fudge in. What well, was he the Exhibit Ten or Summer League? Which one was he? I believe he's X Ten. Yep, he's Exhibit Ten, and they got Damian okay. Bond in Exhibit Ten as well. Love it. I absolutely love the undrafted free agent hall for the Lakers. I also thought, as you mentioned, the Sacramento Kings did really well. This group does not have, in my opinion, the staying power in the NBA that the Lakers group is going to have. But if we're talking about pure upside. The Philadelphia 76ers, our Philadelphia 76ers, Ricky Council IV, Traquavian Smith, Azulis Tabellas. I mean, that is one hell of a two-way. All three of those guys got two-way contracts. Is there a chance all three of them are out of the NBA in two years? Absolutely. But if we're talking about getting guys with pure talent who have the upside to come in and actually earn guaranteed deals... I'd say there, there isn't a better trio out there on two ways than, than that group. So well mm-hmm. done to the 76ers for at least bringing in guys who 
they do have legitimate chances to play more. basketball. Yeah, they, 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 they all that is they all can play basketball. Absolutely. So um, I really like what the Milwaukee Bucks did. I thought bringing uh, uh, Jay Z and Gortman and Omari Moore on two way contracts was big value. Uh huh. You you actually you're 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 not like the biggest Omari Moore fan in the world, but I think you do value him as someone. It's like yeah, he is worth He's taking a two way swing on. Gortman was the guy that I. I like changed my tune on the most because it's just like, he's six two. He's so long. Like you go back and watch the film and it's like, I, I kind of buy some of this stuff. Like if the shot making gets there, like there's a reason he was considered like a five star. Like the dude is, I don't know. Like it's one of those things where it's like, I wonder if he'd, if he'd played in college and he had the same year, does he go 50 the way a guy like JD Davison did a year ago? He, he could have, or he could have went higher because I actually think there's a world in which he's, he's better. Than mm-hmm. JD Davison, like I'm actually buying Gorman's talent. Um, I, I'm kind of all in on it. When you look at what the Bucks have in terms of their depth chart at the point guard spot, it's we know Drew Holiday is their starting point guard, but like they had brought in Goran Dragic. Like, how long is is Dragic going to stay around? Is Javon mm-hmm. Carter going to stay around? Uh, you're you're talking to like Joe Ingles, right? If Joe Ingles is back on the team, like, and they bring like, is he kind of like your backup ball handler, like? All of a sudden, this team becomes really thin on guys, and you're asking Drew Holiday to play a, a lion's share of minutes. You're hoping that Grayson Allen can take some continued leaps as like a primary ball handler, and he's someone you can trust to facilitate more of the offense. Like outside of running every single little thing through Giannis, and then you're also hoping that Chris Middleton's back to being his full self. You're running pretty thin on ball handlers, and like I get that you have size, defense, like everywhere else. But you're going to need someone at that point guard spot who can put uh, put the ball in the basket and, and create some stuff downhill, provide a little juice. And, like, I think Gortman has as good of a chance as any of these guys to land a, a guaranteed contract and really be able to bring him in on the roster. Maybe if, if not this year, maybe even next year. But I really like that fit. Craig Porter Jr., shout out to him, mm-hmm. getting a two-way with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Another situation, their backcourt depth gets really murky. When you look past Darius Garland too, right? Like how long is Ricky Rubio going to stay around? They had Howell Neto in um, on, on a cheap deal. Like outside of those guys, again, who who are you going to put the ball, the ball in the hands of? Is it like a backup point guard? So I think Craig Porter Jr. is going to earn a, a guaranteed contract. I thought that was a really smart signing by them. And then Armand Franklin to the Denver Nuggets on a two-way. That was, that, that was value. Yeah, I think he's still only on an X-10 if I'm not mistaken. But he was like the he was the first guy out of my top 100. And then when I saw him go to Denver, I was like, damn it, like blew it, just blew it. Like that is like an ideal fit for him if he's going to make it work. I'm going to I'm going to actually look that up really quick. I had thought he got a two way. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Uh, rookie you are, has it on an exhibit 10. OK. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, you know what? I'm going to bet that he earns he earns a two way somewhere. He very well could. Mm-hmm. He's pro- even if he doesn't ultimately supplant someone with the Denver Nuggets. He's probably going to travel really well word of mouth and like somebody's going to give him another chance. So I, I, mm-hmm. I like the Armand Franklin giving him a chance. All right. So those were our favorite picks. Those are our favorite undrafted free agents from the 2023 draft. Maxwell, any, any final thoughts on how the draft turned out or, or, or the results of it before we'll move on, hopefully to our next podcast in about a week, week and a half, which is we'll have to talk about summer league pretty soon. Yeah. Yeah. That. yeah. No, I, I, I'm so happy that we got to see like so many guys just get drafted, live their dream, sign and be a contract, especially players we've talked to. Like it took on like a new, a new meaning for me this year, like getting to see people that like we've met on a, on a personal level, get picked and, and 
have like the one thing they've wanted to have happen in their lives happen. Like it's, it's extremely beautiful. Um, stay tuned to the sub stack. I've got my undrafted free agent roll call coming this week. Uh, and then it's almost no stone unturned season. So it's, it's, it's great time for the sickos. You're getting your undrafted yeah. free agent roll call. You're getting unstone, no stone unturned. Like it's, it's a great time of year. If you just love being deep in the weeds. Absolutely. And even when we get into like summer league previews and like talking about what happened mm-hmm. out in, in California and Las Vegas and Utah, like that's also sicko hour to an extent, yeah. because I know a lot of the top guys are going to play, but the majority of those games, those top guys, they really only play like one or two games out mm-hmm. there. Maybe even like three. Sometimes you get the, the occasional rare guy who ends up playing like the whole slate of, of four plus games. But generally those guys only stick around for a few games. And we're talking about a lot of guys in the weeds making positive impressions on teams and ultimately earning, you know, better quality jobs in the league. So I'm sure we'll have plenty of that covered there as well. But Listen, thank you so much, everyone out there, for listening to this episode of Draft Deeper Podcast on No Ceilings NBA. Make sure you are tuned in and subscribe to the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you're uh, following No Ceilings NBA on Twitter at No Ceilings NBA. Make sure you're also subscribed to the Substack, NoCeilingsNBA.com. Max will just lay out all of his awesome content he's going to have coming out by the time you listen to this podcast. I will have some written discussion on some of my favorite picks. That, that were made in this draft. I think we went over a good amount of them on this podcast, but there might be some additional contacts you didn't get on the pod here. Make sure you go check out that written piece. And I can't wait to do more writing in general, talking about how some of these guys are actually going to fit on their respective NBA rosters and then looking forward to how other free agency moves might possibly impact what we're looking at for next year and beyond with some of these young cores and into the 2024 draft. So stay tuned to all of our coverage on No Ceilings NBA. But until then, thank you all so much for listening. And I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week.